2: We're answering listener questions and thinking about On Johnson's impact on Miles Sanders on Roto-Viz Radio. What's up, roto Welcome into the Rotoviz Fantasy Football Show. I'm Dave Cabin alongside Curtis Patrick, we're two of the owners here at Rotoviz. We've had a bunch of great listener questions come in this week. We have one more for listeners on this Friday. Been a great week so far. How pumped are you to close things out, Curtis?
1: Oh, super pumped! Super pumped. It's been really fun talking uh, dynasty because that's my my passion, uh, my biggest passion, obviously. But just want to remind. uh, you know, those of you who have been listening to our shows this week and hearing us cut things up from that angle—that's just the nature of the questions that we've been uh, getting. I think everyone's got that dynasty fever because of the rookie drafts going on and startups. Uh, but if if you're on the fence, you know, hey, should I ask this best ball question or this redraft question or this question about how to handle you know a league issue? And I'm a commissioner. You know, I mean, just just call in, or you you just want to ask like some random non football question? We want to hear from you. Uh, we got a long summer ahead. Um, there's only so much news in the news cycle and you guys are pretty familiar with our strategies at this point. So we'd love to keep that dialogue going. Um, yeah. So call on and, and leave us our thought, a thought no matter what that might be.
2: Yeah. And, and to that point, Curtis, if there is a topic that neither one of us feels like we have expert knowledge on that, we know a lot of people that we can reach out to and get those answers. So keep that in mind too, as you're throwing that in really anything is, uh, you know, in play, but we actually have a fantasy headline and it's been so long since I've used it. I forgot where the button was, but here we go. All right. So our headlines, we have two of them for this show. The first one, we're actually going to have a question that kind of relates to this somewhat, but carry on Johnson claimed off of waivers by the Eagles. I want to talk to you about two things, Curvis. Does this, impact carry, uh, does this impact Miles Sanders' value even more? We talked in the past about how the fact that the team went out and got Kenneth Gainwell in the draft made us question how much they wanted to use him. That's the first question. But also, is it notable that Miami was next in line to go in and get the services of Kerryon Johnson? Does this make you a little less enthusiastic about your boy, Miles Gaskin? Let me know what you think.
1: Oh man. Um, I, my, my opinion about, you know, the Eagles backfield doesn't really change. You know, we've, we've talked about this at some point in the past couple of weeks. Um, There's a capped upside on any back, even if somebody does become the quote unquote bell cow, because Jalen hurts is going to have a lot of ground game, you know, production. It's going to limit the receiving upside uh, for whoever, you know, gets those targets, whoever, you know, claims the, majority of the back sh- uh, backfield receiving share it's going to limit rushing touchdown upside it's going to limit uh it's going to limit overall rushing yardage upside we see this with with the Ravens I'm not saying that Jalen hurts is Lamar Jackson on the ground uh, but he's a lot closer to Lamar Jackson than Philip Rivers in this category obviously that's going to impact uh that's going to impact the backfield um you know I, I do think the Carryon Johnson signing tells us that the Eagles have a tight Um, that's really what it tells me. I mean, Nick Sirianni, Shane Steichen, um, you know, these guys work together and, uh, in LA, uh, with the chargers, um, they're coming over from an offense where, you know, they really helped Justin Herbert have the best rookie quarterback season in NFL history. Um, we didn't get to see a lot of Austin Eckler last season, but both of these coaches would have been very familiar, uh, with Eckler's work. And, you know, when I when I think about Miles Sanders and Kenneth Gainwell and Carryon Johnson, I mean, these are our players that, you know, potentially could add a lot in the receiving game, uh, but they're also very similar stylistically. None of them look anything like Joshua Kelly uh, or anything like that. And so I'm wondering if they just want to have a running back by committee where, you know, they're not tipping their hand in terms of uh, play calls, um, depending on who's in the game, because these guys have overlapping skill sets. Uh, that's my that's my main takeaway here. Um, and then you asked about uh, Miles Gaskin in Miami. I'll be a little bit quicker on that one. I mean, it doesn't really concern me, you know, a waiver claim on, uh, you know, on, on a player like Carryon Johnson, who had, you know, high draft cap- capital previously. The Dolphins had opportunity to invest in the NFL draft when they could have been a lot more specific about who they wanted. Um, and, and they didn't do that. They waited until the very end of, uh, end of the dance there and got Jared Dokes. Um, you know, to me, that would have been more meaningful, uh, a day to pick perhaps on a running back versus a waiver claim.
2: Yeah, I'm in the same spot there. I mean, Miami definitely didn't go after carry on to try and replace Gaskin, right? They would have, they would have addressed that need earlier. I think from Philadelphia side, a lot of what we talked about with Kenneth Gainwell being brought on board applies to Johnson. I think it's more likely that his presence impacts Gainwell in his rookie season than it does Sanders overall uh but we did have a question related to carry on johnson or players like him that we'll uh, pop into and then there are a couple more news headlines that i want to get to but here's the question
1: what's up guys my name is craig i'm from new mexico but i'm a big bears
0: fan um i just wanted to tell you that i think the show is really good with you two you work well together then i got a question i'm going to start a 12
1: team dynasty um 12 players per team, 12 teams across the whole league, that kind of thing. But, you know, I'm sitting in the 27th round, the last round of it, and I'm trying to figure out, do I take Carry on Johnson just because I know the name and maybe he could someday be good? Or do I take somebody that has never played a snap but maybe or may not someday in the future? What do you do in the late rounds of these dynasty startups? Thanks, guys. Enjoy the
0: show.
2: Well, first off, Craig, thank you for that question. I love the enthusiasm. really appreciate the support. And I think that this is like a classic age old question and one that so many people are gonna have. So Curtis, break down. Do you go with that known entity late in dynasty rounds, or do you go with the young player that hasn't proven himself yet but could turn into something?
1: There's a couple ways to to cut this up. Um, great question, Craig. It's gonna be highly applicable not just to dynasty startups. Also, maybe to those deeper best ball formats um, like we see over on the FFPC, these 25 plus round uh, best ball formats that can really uh, you can really do some interesting things when you uh, hit on a late round dart throw. Ryan McDowell and I um, hit big time on James Conner as a 26th round pick uh, his, his rookie season uh, in a best ball draft. So, you know, you never know what can happen. And so this is a, a really, really great question. Um, okay. So a couple things that that we do here at Is. we do like to target you know backfields where there's some uncertainty, um, and you know I don't know that on Johnson means there's uncertainty to where he would be relevant in Philadelphia, but I think there was already uncertainty in terms of the usage with the previous regime um, because we heard uh, you know we heard Deuce Staley say Miles Sanders could carry the load, but what actually happened every week under the former regime was that Miles Sanders was involved. Boston Scott continued to be involved. The team signed Jordan Howard that didn't end up, in you know, really doing anything, um, you know, at the beginning uh, of last year when they re-signed him. Um, and so, you know, actions speak louder than words. Um, for whatever reason, Sanders hasn't emerged as a true bell cow. Now we have a new regime coming in. Um, they spend um, moderate draft capital on Kenneth Gainwell, a uh, very good player, questionable, uh, you know, questionable, uh, opponent uh, strength, you know, out of Memphis, overlapping skill set uh, and athleticism uh, with Miles Sanders and then bring carry on, you know, in, you know, former second round pick out of the SEC, you know, good career at Auburn, just never really put it all together in Detroit. Uh, another, uh, another confusing backfield uh, situation where you know, the <laughs> Lions yeah, just would never commit to anybody. Um, And so, you know, this late in the draft, I actually don't mind carry on as a dart throw because the equivalent rookie that you would get in like, I think you said the 27th, 28th round, we're definitely in like fourth round rookie territory uh, by that point. You're not getting somebody like an Anthony Schwartz, you know, high upside, you know, material NFL draft capital player um, from a power five conference this late in your dynasty startup. Now, if we were talking like round 18 to 20, uh, and you were way out in front of this thing, and we're still talking about you know, a top 250 pick, I'd rather cast my bet on the rookie. Because let's look at Carry On's, uh performance and production profile uh, over the last three years you know, in Detroit, um, just four top 12 weeks in 34 games over those three seasons, and none occurred last year when he was actually available for all 16 games and was taking a back seat even to Adrian Peterson. Uh, in that that committee situation, um, only eight top 24 weeks in 34 games. And I mean, I understand that last year DeAndre Swift joined the picture, but the, the two seasons previous, he couldn't stay healthy. And when he was healthy, um, it, it wasn't a smash situation. So I think he's third fiddle to begin the year. The thing that you will get with carry on and investing in him this late is a name familiarity bounce if he does anything. This is the principle um, why it made sense for years and years and years for people to continue to claim Josh Gordon off of their waiver wire anytime he signed with a new team, right? Because if he just gets one positive practice report or one reception in a game, all of a sudden people just think, what if, and you can, and you can move them. If you, if you spend this pick on carry on, it's not because you think he's going to take over the Eagles backfield. It's because if, if he does get, you know, a committee share at any point early in the season. You can move them for a future second you can move them to a running back poor team for some other wide receiver depth or tight end depth uh you're you're doing it as a uh you know basically a draft and flip scenario that's that's my view on carry on
2: yeah so in my kind of general thoughts on taking on how you're going to use those picks late in the draft is you don't have to shy away from the players like carry on altogether. Uh, and you don't have to shy away from those rookies altogether. So for me, normally once I'm at like, maybe like round 22, I start to maybe try to take two of those younger rookie type players versus the proven player or like two of those rookies for like every one older player. But I think like Curtis said, you reach a point where depending on the year, those younger rookies are just going to be so sparse or the guys that are there are just so unattractive that you do reach a point where it makes more sense to go with the player like carry on. Uh so there's definitely a balance to that. Um and then the final thought I'll give personally is in the later rounds too, um I am also more inclined to go after wide receivers just because in lots of cases it's easier for those wide receivers to find a path to relevance. So if you feel like you're at the point where you're just kind of like throwing away the picks, I I kind of try to do it more
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire?
2: You need indeed. With those receivers, but those are just my thoughts. Curtis, we have another piece of interesting news. Now, this one I actually think could have implications for fantasy players in 2021. Not to say that the other things we haven't, but as far as news items that you get this time of year, I think this one's pretty pretty noteworthy. Teddy Bridgewater is signed by Denver. The team is making the case that right now there's a 50 50 competition. Who do you think is the quarterback that's better for the team's wide receivers and that we, as fantasy managers who own these receivers, should hope gets to be under center for Denver? Is it Drew Locke or is it Teddy Bridgewater?
0: Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends whose four way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.
1: Man, I think in terms of uh, res- the receiver's floors, it would certainly be Bridgewater. Uh, from an mm-hmm. accuracy standpoint, we saw even in a kind of an unimpressive uh, performance last season, him prop up DJ Moore and uh, Robbie Anderson uh, and Carolina uh, to fantasy relevance, both of them. Um, Robbie Anderson, actually, quite surprisingly, um, I don't think anybody really saw him doing what he did uh, with, with Teddy um, versus what he had done, uh, you know, with Darnold and, you know, those other cast of characters in uh, in New York previously. But I think for the upside of any of the receivers, a Drew Lock breakout, figuring it out, would actually be, you know, the best scenario. Um, more of a, you know, I, I think, you know, going back to his rookie evaluations, kind of a gunslinging mentality. i um, not going to, you know, make the Brett Favre comparison that a lot of people, you know, wanted, wanted to make because I just think he hasn't shown enough to warrant that. Um, but perhaps, you know, we've seen this with Jameis Winston. Um, you know, Jameis Winston uh, being kind of a disaster for a team win scenario, but good enough to, you know, prop up an exciting offense, uh, throwing the ball down the field, you know, really, you know, stacking up, you know, some elite fantasy wide receiver performances. I don't think Teddy has that in his range of outcomes. I think Drew Locke does have Jameis Winston type production in his range of outcomes with all of the talent around him. Um, I think it's an unlikely, it's an unlikely uh, event that we'll see that in 2021. Um, uh, But I mean, I'll sign, I mean, geez, I I think there's a a 5% possibility that Drew Locke figures it out and is actually like a fantasy QB one this year and, and has, you know, a tight end, you know, a top six tight end to Noah fan and supports, you know, at least one top 15 wide receiver. There's so much talent there that if he does figure it out, like it will just happen naturally. Uh, The problem is going to be if he doesn't fix those turnovers in camp, um, you know, this is a front office that wants to win. You know, there's, they're sick of what's happened in the post Peyton Manning era and the temptation, like the like the false siren song of Teddy Bridgewater, just like helping the team be uh, it was 17 games this year now. So uh nine <laughs> and eight. Um you know, the the allure of nine and eight to show the fans that that you're making some progress. I, I think that's gonna be tough to ignore. So um I, I see it as a floor and ceiling situation. Um how how would you uh cut this
2: one up, Dave? You know, like this is a really tricky one, um, because I do think, like you said, if you get Drew Locke out there and he's playing that gunslinger role, it probably does give them more of an upside. I am going to say, though, that overall, uh, in the majority of scenarios or outcomes or the way things could play out, I actually think the wide receivers are, bre- are better with Teddy Bridgewater. Some of this comes back to the fact that you really do need Locke to take a step forward in for him. In order for him to be able to support multiple wide receivers, you know, a lot of this comes from, if you go onto Rotoviz and you look at the AYA tool that we have, you'll see that he has his best adjusted yards per attempt with Noah fan at just 7.56 among receivers that he's targeted more than 50 times Deshaun Hamilton at just 7.47. You contrast that with a guy like Bridgewater who has played with a number of decent receivers, but you have a lot of guys over eight, um, you know, adjusted yards per attempt, like DJ Moore, Stefan Diggs, Robbie Anderson, Greg Jennings, Curtis Samuel, even Jarius Wright, Michael Thomas, something easy to do. But also, if you look at their adjusted yards per attempt across the field in different positions, you'll see that Teddy Bridgewater is much better than Locke everywhere except the middle of the field. And in fact, above 15 yards on the left side of the field. An AYA of just 6.79. On the right side of the field for Locke, just 4.54. These are not good numbers. Uh, Also, we know that Teddy Bridgewater has been much more accurate. His on-target percentage ran 82% last year. 87% of his balls thrown were catchable. Comparison to Drew Locke on target, just just, uh, 73% of the time. Catchable only 79% of the time. The one good thing that you could say is the average throw depth... For uh, Bridgewater at just 7.2, Drew Locke at 9.2, which does speak to perhaps there's the potential for him to unlock these wide receivers on deeper throws. Um, So I'm not denying the possibility of Locke taking a step forward, but it looks like there's an awful lot of work for him to do. So I will vote on the side of Bridgewater there. Any follow-ups to that? Because if not, there's a player I'm very interested to ask you about.
1: Well, it's just a quick follow up, Um, and I think it at least should. I think the team has tipped its hand in terms of who they want to win the job. Um, You know, they traded uh, for Bridgewater. You know, basically nothing. Um, A a sixth round pick in the twenty twenty one draft. They did it before the draft. They had the opportunity to draft Justin Fields. Um, Justin Fields was on the on the board. When Denver elected to select a cornerback, now I know they're they're fighting Patrick Mahomes, um, they're fighting Justin Herbert in their division. Um, you know they they need a solid you know secondary you know to match up with those offenses. But 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 the best defense would be a better offense. And you know uh, there there were other options there at quarterback that could really propel them forward. If they didn't think that Drew Lock had a chance to figure it out, because Teddy Bridgewater is too good for you to tank. You're not going to get. The replacement quarterback next year. If you start Bridgewater this season, you're going to be too good for that, probably. Uh, with how much talent you have on this roster, this tells me they're still holding out hope for Drew Lock, because uh, even after, I mean, they invested nothing in Bridgewater in the scenario where they could still could have had a high end quarterback played itself out. Um, you know, they could have even leveraged that situation into you know potentially talking the Packers into getting. Aaron Rodgers. I know the Packers at that point were leaking that, you know, they didn't want to move him. But when you got a, a quarterback like Fields on the board, you know, you can probably get creative with your draft capital and try to make something happen. There's no rumors of that even really being discussed. So I, I think Drew Locke is the leader in the clubhouse for this job. Um, he has to lose it. I don't think Bridgewater can win it. I think Locke has to lose it. Um, so I, I think that's material. When we think about projections uh, for this year, you know, of course, you're a projections master uh, at the site, Uh, every year for, for our redraft uh, processes. And uh, you know, that, that's what I'm really going to be looking at the camp notes on drew lock. And at what point does he fall behind if he falls behind?
2: Yeah. And I think I'm inclined to agree with that. If I were doing the projections today, I would put drew lock in just for all of those reasons that you showed. They certainly didn't give us reason to believe that they truly want to move on from him. And I actually was planning on talking about this news item last episode But we had so many great questions. We didn't have time for it. Travis Etienne playing wide receiver at Jaguars minicamp. Urban Meyer, you know, is going out, bringing in Tim Tebow potentially to play tight end. He's lining up Etienne outside at wide receiver. What is going on here? And should people be concerned about Travis Etienne as a rookie in 2021?
1: Man, I mean... (laughs) I mean, like this, this is just this appears to be like I'm this is not like specific to the ETN situation. It's definitely more specific to the, the Tebow signing. This this appears to be headed for disaster. I mean, um, I don't know what Urban Meyer thinks he's doing. You cannot run an NFL franchise like like a college uh program. And one thing that Urban Meyer was oft criticized for in Columbus. Um, just down the road from where I live here, uh, as being a little bit overly loyal, um, you know, to the guys that he recruited, we saw him then go out in the NFL draft, basically draft all the guys that he had four and five star grades on, even if they didn't pan out in college. Um, so he's gonna fix these players, even though they had three or four years to to play, you know, at some other program in college and figure it out, and 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 maybe didn't do it. Uh, in some cases, so it's just really interesting that he goes back to the high school recruiting grades on players. Uh, instead of uh, maybe putting a little bit more um, value on college production and, and, and uh, you know, college progression. Um, you know, I don't it, for ETN specifically, um, it doesn't really bother me too much that they're going to spend a lot of extra time, like getting him reps in, in other places, um, as long as it means that he's, you know, not you know his snap share is going to be high. Um, you know, it is a way for ETN and James Robinson to be on the field. Um, at the same time, uh, and give the team, you know, a different look, but it just seems weird. Like, I feel like LaVisca Chenault um, in the slot, you know, is what the team would benefit the most from. But then on the other hand, you know, we're talking rookie camp, we're talking OTAs, how much running game install can you really do in that format? There's no, there's no hitting yet. Um, you not you're not always looking at a full defense yet. Um, I, it does, this particular part of the news item bothers me far less than all of the other stuff surrounding urban Meyer. Um, it it wouldn't like affect my interest in Travis Etienne from like a dynasty perspective. Um, it does like maybe put a little bit, uh, of, of ammo. in. uh, I think the thought that I had shared a week or two ago, Dave was that, um, if I was investing in the Jaguars offense, probably the way I'd want to play it was just with Trevor Lawrence. Um, because all the other players are going to be very difficult to project. And I think we're seeing that start to manifest.
2: Yeah. So like you said, the specific piece to ETN does not bother me as much as the rest of info that's coming out. Cause it looks like Meyer could easily lose a lot of respect, a lot of trust of the rest of the players in this locker room, pretty easily trying to operate this thing like a college program. I think it's very likely that this is not a sign that the team is planning on using ETN a lot as a wide receiver. Hopefully, it's just a chance to get him in, see what he's able to do as a wide receiver, get him a little bit of exposure to... Uh, you know, some of the, the situations that they might want to use him in when they need him to play as a receiver. But I'm not expecting this to be the type of thing where they drafted him in the first round to be their running back. And then they're going to try to use him in this hybrid gadget type of role. I would be more concerned if we saw them lining up Laviska Chenault solely as a running back or doing different things with him, because like you said, I think it probably benefits the team a lot more if they have Chenault playing wide receiver, they have ETN coming out of the backfield, I will say that when I find myself in positions, if things continue to trend this way as we lead up to the season and I need to evaluate him versus somebody like Najee Harris, then I probably will give Harris the nod for the time being. I'm not going to completely panic. And I don't think that if you're somebody that went out and drafted him, this is the time that you should be panicking. That's probably the key takeaway. Do you agree with that, Curtis? Or is there any case to be made for trying to get out of ETN right now?
1: Uh, I mean, I think it's bad. It's, I mean, it's probably bad timing. Uh, to to, to yeah. try to get out of them. I don't even think that we really even should do this. These are like non. I think like taken, you know just as a singular news item, it's it's not actionable. You know, and it, it, like if the Tim Tebow garbage wasn't happening, I think we could be like super excited to hear that ETN is going to be used in other in other yeah. ways. Um, you know, because because this means you know if the team gets into Uh, a situation where, you know, it's, it's ground and pound time or, you know, they want to, they, you know, maybe they're, maybe they're envisioning ETN being more of a Jamal Charles type running back where it's about the efficiency and the big plays. And um, instead of him coming off the field um, when they're in, in certain offensive situations, he simply goes to another position where he's not going to get banged up as much. I mean, that could be, you know, there's other ways that we can spin this and, and try to make it a positive thing. For me, it just goes back to why, Najee Harris has been the RB1 in this class uh, for me. This is just really convenient. It makes me feel more conviction uh, there. And I, th- I think we're going to see that play out this year. You know, maybe in another episode soon, Dave, we can talk about all the updates coming out of uh, Steel Town because they've been really, really interesting. <laughs> and and Najee's proving to be a really fun interviewee as well.
2: Yeah, for sure. For sure. So yeah, I think the closing thoughts on there, not to make too much of it, but this singular news story on ETN, you know, maybe we see something like they want to turn him into Le'Veon Bell from years back where he was getting just, you know, peppered with targets, a lot of carries and it could work out in a nice way. That brings us to the end of the episode. You know what that means, Curtis? It's Friday. We're closing down the third episode for the week And I'm going to put things on you to lead us into the weekend.
1: Okay. I'm like, I'm starting to get some muscle memory, uh, that you're doing this now. You caught me, uh, you did not catch me by surprise for the first time, (laughs) uh, in in, in our, in our marriage. I think we're, we're, that means we're past the honeymoon phase and, uh, we, you know, we're, we're settling into our roles. Um, uh, so that, so that's great. So, so listen. Um, last week I left you, uh, as listeners with an impassioned plea to call in and give us questions. You did not disappoint. Um, literally, um, the floodgates were opened and you guys spilled your guts, um, with awesome questions. Continue to do that. Also, you know, leave us a message or two, let us know, uh, what you think of the format. Are there any other topics you'd like us to hit? Even if it's not a question specific to your own strategy or players. Um, this week, I really want to make a, you know, if you're somebody who listens to the pod and you benefit from our analysis, uh, but perhaps you haven't taken the dive on a Rotaviz subscription uh, to the site, you know, I really want to appeal to you uh, in that area this week because you know a lot of the analysis um, that we're giving is informed by the research that we do, uh, the tools that we construct, um, and you know the, the the macro and micro strategies that. Uh, reveal themselves to us um, from that data. We are going to have more data than ever this year. Um, I, uh, Dave, and I inked a very exciting partnership with SIS as a data uh, supplier this year. We're going to have more. Rotoviz has always been a data-rich site. We've been a, a research-based. Um, uh, uh, what what is the what is the um, let's say think tank. Evidence, but yeah, yeah, I'm not even going there. Think take, you know, that's a bunch of people jerking each other off sometimes. Okay, so this is an evidence based fantasy product. We have even more evidence to um, share with you when our data becomes richer. And uh, our new partnership with SIS is going to allow us to do this. Our tools are going to explode uh, and overflow with new data. New tools will be developed. Um, This is a multi year partnership that is really going to allow us. Um, to further differentiate ourselves as having the best tools in the fantasy game uh, and the best minds in the game using those tools. So, um, you know, just go to rotaviz.com, subscribe today. We have very affordable monthly auto renew options. We have a a discount versus the monthly package when you go for one year. And our two-year deals probably, uh, nay, not probably, um, definitely the best value uh, in the fantasy game today. In terms of what you get for your investment. So, uh, if you like what Dave and I do, um, support us beyond the free analysis that we give you on this pod. You know, This is not behind a paywall. You get this three times a week for free. Support our site by subscribing at rotaviz.com today.
2: Love it. And the final thing I'll leave listeners with the implementation of this extra data is something that I literally have been waiting for for about three years. Right, I have not been putting out a ton of stuff on the site because I have been planning and getting ready for the release of all of this. I can trust you; I, it really is not going to disappoint. So you're definitely going to yeah. want to check that out. All right, uh, and I think that that official, <laughs> Curtis, you have. I you, feel like there, there's, I, I there's I saw a joke your face. in there. Looks like you might have had one more thing. There's a joke, there's a joke in there joke somewhere in there, yeah. about
1: three about three year release. Um, well, we can end on that. <laughs>